Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four. I am a little bit late this uh, this week due to spending extra time with my youngest child, the naughty one, the Vandal Van. Um, it was a very interesting weekend of uh, completely device-free activities due to his punishment being device-free. Found us playing games, found us doing model cars. Um, I was kind of reliving some childhood uh, memories uh, doing model cars and gluing stuff and painting stuff with my son. So again, apologies for being slightly late. I wanted to deliver this yesterday on Sunday um, so that it was in your guys' ears today. It looks like it'll just be a bit of a half-day later thing. Um, so yeah, I am sorry about that. But to be honest, I don't know how many of you would actually notice or be holding on to it that much yet. Um, but speaking of people listening, I am very interested in getting questions from all of you guys. I would like to know what you think of the podcast. I would like to know at this point, what is it about this that has you listening uh, in the form of feedback, uh, things that you would like me to cover? I would like to hear that in a question form. Uh, I would like to hear anything that you can come up with so that I can potentially do a Q&A episode or integrate those into the show's format. The format still is long. Uh, I, I kind of like it because I want the organic conversation to take place. I want it to go where it goes. Um, but then at the same time, I also want to make sure that the messages are getting through. And in the last episode with Andrew Rumpel, uh, the one you're about to listen to, uh, it was very focused on how do we link this back just to self-talk every single time? What's going on in your head? How are you thinking about those things? How are you battling with the negative? How are you dealing with the positive? How are you making good on, you know, that human condition of, you know, am I good enough? Can I get there? Can I achieve the goals that I want to achieve? So if you could uh, jump on online, I've created an Instagram account uh, whereby you can follow my post there, get an update from there to jump off and go listen to the latest episode. That would be uh, Instagram would be unplug underscore your underscore self. Uh, and that's uh, th that's your th that's your Instagram connection. In order to hit me up on Twitter uh, and and do some tweets or what have you, or uh, tag me into some stuff which might be more interesting on the Twitter the Twitterverse, that is at unplug your underscore self. I've only recently set these up, and I'm not overly using them too much yet, but I will be using that to communicate out and try to grow uh, the viewership, uh, the listenership, the viewership, the listenership a bit more. Um, so yeah, hit me up there. I also have um, podcast at unplugyourself.net uh, as an email. If you want to just shoot me straight up an email, that'd be fine too. So one more time, Instagram, unplug underscore your underscore self. And Twitter is at unplug your underscore self. And the email is podcast at unplugyourself.net. So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast, uh, the interview with Andrew Rumpel. He is the president uh, of the ice hockey club that I am part of and uh, generally a fun guy to just kind of shoot the shit with. Um, I thought it'd be uh, a very interesting interview to just talk to somebody who is effectively uh, president of a club sport that he doesn't even play in. Uh, and and uh, ironically, that's one of the biggest questions about him is, is what are you doing here? You don't even play the hockey. Uh, but he is yet uh, one of those people that perseveres and sticks through it and does a good job of you know, representing our club uh, and, and making good on all that. Um, and also has some interesting stuff he does outside of all of that. So uh, yeah, let's cut to it. Thanks, everybody.
I've done a lot of audio work, so for me it's always like, you know, cleaning it up and, you know, making sure it's always clear. And one of the big um, things with the podcast is just to make sure that they say audio needs to be, it doesn't have to be perfect, but that it has to have like a level of quality about it. Yeah. Because if it doesn't have it, then it just doesn't, people kind of go, oh, this is shit, you know? And um, it doesn't help that I'm an absolute snob about, you know, like video quality or audio quality and all of these sorts of things. Like I'm a pain in the ass. So I can't watch a movie on my TV if it's out of sync at all. Yeah. I can't watch a movie if the quality of the visuals are off because in my mind, I'm just like, nope, I know that there's better out there and I need to get that or not watch this. I don't want to ruin it. Yeah. You know, you know and, and then um, I, I lie to myself in my head and say, that's because the way that the people made this wanted me to see it in a higher quality. But then at the same time, I'm stealing it or whatever, right? So it's yeah. like one of those things. Yeah, exactly. Where like, it's like, it's like, it's just, let me rationalize this a little bit, <laughs> yeah. implore a little denial about where my position is on this and then go forth and conquer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's the same. It's the same in now editing. Like every, every time we approach that issue and we get assets from overseas and the audio is rubbish, that it's the first thing we do. It's like an audio check. Yeah. Is the audio, audio check muffled? It's just like, now do we scrap the video? Because it's like, people can't hear what you're saying, then... Yeah, well, it's fifty percent of the fifty percent of the deal, right? So if you can't hear something, it's not clean, then people check out, right? Because visuals are just one part of it. Yeah, and you can only get away with like not having that level of engagement for so long before you know people drift or their thoughts take them away. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Well, Rumps. Yes. Andrew Rumple. Joe Robins. Rumple. Rumps. Yes. Rumpy. Yes. That's a pet name, Rumpy. Yes. Uh, El Presidente. El Presidente, yes. Is also Indeed. the name. Yeah. Um, we know each other through the ice hockey community that we're both involved in. Indeed. I don't know that we would know each other outside of that. No, I don't, I don't think so. I feel like we wouldn't know each other outside of that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the f- faintest idea where we, our paths would cross, actually. I agree. I think it would be a very, like, we would have actually existed in complete isolation of each other. Yes. So how long have we known each other now? Ooh, um, four or five. Yeah, it, it would have been. A, it's at least five years yeah. from memory. Yeah, five years. Yeah, it's weird, man. It's a crazy amount of time to have gone by in our little community, which is small but noisy. Yes, indeed. <laughs> very, very, very vocal and passionate. <laughs> very passionate to say the least. People, yep. <laughs> um, I think we should refrain from getting into any detail of the club while we're in this conversation. Indeed. We both know that we could probably talk at length about that. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, one of the big reasons why I got you involved in this podcast to come do an interview, it's probably two, two parts to that. One, um, you're a non-hockey playing guy involved in a hockey community, yep. which I think is interesting in itself. And I know that you've kind of explained why you've done that, which I want to dig into a little bit. Yep. The second part is, is, is that we deal with all sorts of of people engaging in this type of a community that are running many thoughts through their minds, having many different biases and opinions. And I want to just generalize that conversation a little bit into, you know, let's remember that this is about self-talk and what happens inside of people's heads and why they're maybe externalizing decisions and doing that. And we can generalize some of this stuff because I think how we engage back into that um, one of the five years of knowing each other has evolved greatly yep. as a committee and how we deal with things like this and how we temper ourselves to a certain degree. Yep. Um, but then, you know, to it's a, you know, it's, it's a tough business to, you know, deal with passionate people that want things for the, you know, especially when children are involved or want to be better themselves, um, you know, what they're going through in their minds and stuff. So I think one half of it is to talk about you and, and where you come from and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So, Hey, let's kick into it. So, you know, let's, uh, let's do a little bit of a background. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, you know, who 
El Presidente is Andrew, <laughs> Andrew Squire, the Rumple Nader. <laughs> oh, Squire, oh, Squire Rumple, Mr. Sir Andrew Rumple Squire, President of the uh, Sydney Bears Ice, Ice Hockey Club. Um, yeah, who who are you, buddy? So so everybody knows who we are talking to today. Yes, so I'm Andrew Rumple. Um, as Joe has alluded to, um, I run an ice hockey club. I'm the president of the Sydney Bears Ice Hockey Club. Um, I've been doing it for nearly five years now, and I've been involved in the club for about eight years. Um, I'm born and bred in Sydney. Mm. Um, never lived anywhere outside of Sydney. Okay. Um, my daytime job, my my other, I guess, side of the passion is content and mm. marketing. Right. Um, I work for a car publisher. Um, I'm their production manager, um, and my job is solely to coordinate uh, video, audio, uh, that sort of thing in yeah. in the in that realm, yeah, yeah. But that hasn't always been your gig, right? Because you were doing no. what were you doing prior to that? Um, I was in tourism, tourism, right? So, totally different um, world. yeah. So originally, I was I was from a tourism and hospitality background. Mm-hmm. Um, so I finished uni and um, I went into um, just booking uh, group travel uh, for a company, and then went on to working for an online travel agent, basically where you go book hotels yep. as an account manager. Yeah. Um. So I did that uh, for about three and a half years. Right. Uh, and then afterwards, um, I decided, I guess, to move um, into a different industry, so mm. to speak. Yeah. And then, so did you, what did you do prior to that? Uh, prior to that was just a, a bunch of odd jobs right, um, right. going through uni. So that was kind of you kicking into gear. Was that first one was a travel thing? And then now you're in the, the car thing. Yeah. Car thing seems like a lot of fun for you. It, it is It is hugely fun. Yeah, very um, busy. Yeah, it, it is really busy. Um, I guess it combines another passion of mine. I've, I've loved cars since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, my dad loved cars, so it was kind of the thing we bonded mm. with. Mm. And so, yeah, that, that kind of just took another passion um, to another level. Mm. Um, and I've always been obsessed with content and marketing. So videos, imagery, sound, and, you know, even brochures and you know the texture of that sort of thing sure. so i've always loved that and so yeah. that sort of um content aspect combined with automotive has just been you know it's almost been a bit of a godsend in terms of of a career path yeah so it's just sort of a sweet spot for you yeah, yeah. no that's cool man a little yeah. bit of a passion thing because uh, um i just got my son uh my youngest into model making cars because he's really expressing an interest to there's this tactile building thing in him and he likes the idea of building cars, potentially designing cars. Oh, cool. And as a kid, I used to do heaps of models. So like my spare time consisted of, like, we didn't own a T, like we didn't have television hooked up to the house and there was a lot of stuff when I was a kid that I just didn't, I had to do other things. So I used to go down to the toy shop, buy models, paint things, build things. Um, You know, and I always had a build builder background like i like to build stuff and 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 i'd always done it so you know the other day i mean he's in trouble right now he got grounded for some stuff that he did <laughs> and um i won't get into the details of it but basically he's he's up the creek right now because he uh you know he got in some trouble so he's you know it's sort of an infinite amount of time it feels like you know we'll, we'll work it out when he's done but that means no devices um, you know so i've I've nuked his phone it's yeah. basically a nokia that can you know a, an iphone that can basically only act as a as a nokia but yeah. you know um but you know all the gaming's gone all the all the stuff he, you know you kind of he only watches tv when he's with us sort of thing so he really has to fill his time yeah so he's been at his mom's for a bit and he's been doing some building and i was like you know what let's kick into gear on these models right because yeah, i yeah. think it's a it's it's fun there's a lot going on yeah so we went down went to hornsby to this model shop you know spent you know a little bit of money getting started because you got to buy some paint and bits and pieces yeah. but you know we both bought a couple of models and then we you know we started building them 
And it hit the exact sweet spot for him in what he was trying to, you know, what I thought what he would get out of it with That's like awesome. yeah. getting into it, you know, seeing and building an engine, yeah. you know, why, what are all these parts? Oh, knowing all the bits and pieces, There's so many parts to a car. I mean, it's yeah. just insane how much goes on in a car. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But for him, it's all, you know, up top, you know, that problem solving, the gears turning, you know, he's getting frustrated. It's not going well. It's super hard work. And it's not like Lego that just snaps all together really easily and you can undo it. I mean, you've got glue involved, you know, you're dealing with a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun to watch him kind of move through that thing. And it's kind of a bonding thing, which I think is interesting because, you know, I like cars. I'm not a massive, you know, like rev head type person, yeah. but I do appreciate cars. I appreciate what goes into making them work. And yeah. I tend to end up, you know, watching engine teardowns on YouTube for some reason now because my son's interested in cars. So now I'm watching <laughs> engine teardowns, watching guys do Evo, you know, Evo engine rebuilds and all this weird ass shit. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, I'm not watching it all the time, but there's a channel now that I'm sucked into this guy's buying broken cars and fixing them, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a part of me that's kind of like interested in this because my son might be, yeah. you know, and it's an interesting game when you've got kids and like trying to, you know, have that connection of a bond of some sort. It's something you guys can, you know, kind of sit around the fire and talk to right yeah yeah exactly. um yeah so you i mean obviously you had that with your dad with with cars and where you went with it yeah um which is interesting let's talk a little bit about you know this jump into hockey though so yes. why 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 is it you're interested in running you know as a president of a club of, of an ice hockey club um what, what's that all about why did you decide to jump into that world okay um we'll probably go from the top actually then sure um so the Originally, um, when I joined the club, um, I was just a scorekeeper and sure. a manager. Mm. Um, and that all started from one of my best mates who was coaching a team at sure. the time. Yeah. Um, and he asked, you know, do you want to go out and watch a hockey game one night? So mm. I went out, I watched the game. I think general, the general vibe was like anyone else, just sort of. Uh, 50-50 interest in it. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this is cool, but I don't really know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then um, week after week, it was kind of like, oh, do you want to go and watch another game? Mm. And I was just like, sure, why not? Mm. And then you get to see all the other teams and then eventually one day they were stuck without a scorekeeper. And yeah. it was like, do you want to hop in the score booth and maybe you get a better perspective of the game? Um, and it was amazing to watch. It was amazing mm. to, I guess, see it from a very different perspective. Yeah. Um, and to learn the rules of the game. Um, it yeah. was a huge learning curve, um, basically being thrown to the deep end of the pool. Um, and then um, over time, uh, it just developed into, oh, maybe I want to help manage the team, sure. volunteer, put a bit of time in. Mm. Um, some of the people I knew on the team as well were friends and, and rink rats that I had um, skated with in the past. Yeah. And only just realized by chance that they were also part of a, um, of a hockey team. And the same time as well, uh, the president at the time was playing in the, in the team and he was very welcoming and he said, you know, thanks for coming out. So, sure. so it kind of brought me in yeah. this, this whole culture and this vibe. And, mm. um, and then eventually, yeah, that kind of escalated into, uh, wanting to help run the finances of the club. Mm. Mm. Um, I kind of built that in with my final year of uni. Uh, I wanted to use some of my accounting experience, my business experience to yep. use. Yeah. Um, because generally when you, you look at also entry-level jobs, they're not they're, they're kind of the opposite of what yeah. um, management in, mm. in mm. a club or a business is kind of all about. So mm. that was kind of my ticket in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I volunteered from that point of view. And then when our president uh, left after a 12-month stint, I jumped in as president. Sure. And the rest is history. It's yeah, uh, yeah. five years later, I'm still running the club. And um, I like that you said the rest is history, as if there's a history book for this. <laughs> 
There will be a novel will be, coming yeah. out. 20, 20, 2020. My time as the president. Yes. The story of Andrew Rumpel. Exactly. Guys, you can get it on Kindle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be on Kindle. All the major PDF delivery systems. Yeah, exactly. Get it right. on your ebook reader. Yeah. And Booktopia. Yeah, well. Booktopia. Yeah. We will also get a print copy. Yes, absolutely. It only costs three thousand dollars because books are so damn expensive. Yeah. Yeah, comparatively. Yeah. A major outlet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I still get stuff in the mail where I'm like I'm paying for something, right? And yeah. then they're gonna send me some like big print like at a magazine. And I'm like, Why are you sending me a magazine? I don't want to pay extra money to you in service fees so that you can print a magazine. I know it's it's <laughs> it's, it's really you know you know it's funny it's funny you say that because I bought I bought a like a um a bag for um for content creators like um it's like a videographer's bag a Lowy Pro bag from uh, I think it's BFH is it um the like the camera store oh oh, oh yeah. Um, based in based in the states, and one day a catalog just turned up. I'm just right. like, do they still even have those? I'm just like, how how is it that you can still produce a catalog? Um, but it was amazing. Like for me, it was just like, oh wow, I can like all the pictures and everything like that. So I just spent like an hour reading through this yeah. catalog. It's like, oh, I want that. Oh uh, no, I'm talking like my kid's school, and I'm paying you know private school, yeah. paying school fees, and I'm like, they're exorbitant enough, and then they send me a monthly magazine. Like a like a proper hard stocked printed covered, and I'm like, why? You're gonna be spending tens of thousands of dollars yeah. just getting this organized to then send out every run. Yeah, and I'm like, take this out, stop doing this part. Yeah, and lower the price a little bit. Yeah, bring the bar down. Don't raise it. I don't want this. Yeah, make it a PDF and send it to my email. And and cut this and cost in half. Like you guys are crazy to think that anybody wants this. Yeah. Because then yeah. You, then you're. It's not even just that. Then you're sticking me with recycling this motherfucker. Yeah, exactly. Like right. what? What am I going to do with all these things? I'm not going to collect them. Yeah. No interest in holding on to these things. Yeah. You know. So I don't even look at them. I don't even want to look at them. I'm <laughs> like, you send me a newsletter in my email box. I get one per grade level, mm. and then I get a a magazine that's printed every month and sent to me. And I'm like, maybe it's quarterly. I might be totally exaggerating, but nevertheless, there's more than one a year. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's the the annual book you get, right? Which they're putting into that. Oh, yeah, like the yearbook. Yeah, sure. Which yeah. is, you know, like, okay, whatever. That, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the marker point. But, God. It doesn't need to be monthly. Oh, talk about an internal just, like, drag out. My whole brain just goes, why am I getting this? <laughs> it's wrapped in plastic, which is the thing I got to put it. Like, it's all, like... <laughs> infecting the environment i don't want it why did i even pay for this thing like am i paying for it like what is this you know oh that and then them sending out a thing in the in an email saying we need volunteers to man the um the barbecue thing yeah. i'm like you guys are getting so much money top five school right you get you just plugged like 80 million or 100 million dollars into building something mm. hire some people yeah you should take care of these problems yourselves it shouldn't have to be parents that are paying to then have to go volunteer their extra time to go man a, you know, some sort of sausage sizzle thing. Yeah. You know, like I get it if it was a public school. Yeah. You're going to need help. Yeah. Private school, suck it up. Yeah. <laughs> Take all that extra money you're spending and putting on something else. Yeah. You know, if you got to facilitate, facilitate. Yeah. Essentially when it's Holy also cow. a revenue-based system as well. Oh it's like, boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you go to private school? No, I went to public school. You're a public school kid. I'm yes. a prodigy of public school. Wow. A prodigy of public school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think that's the right word. No? Progeny? Prodigy, progeny. A oh. product. 
of public school. Yeah, product. yeah. I was really reaching. I think there with what I was going for with words. I, I was a product. What a, I, I feel like progeny could be used, but nevertheless, I'm not going to go vocabulary right now. Um, yeah, I'm a product of public school. Yeah, but we had, we had a private school in my town. Mm. It was small though. It was like rebel teachers that didn't like the system. And they all moved to my town and taught school in this other school. But they like had this deal where they could write letters. I remember it was like this this almost lore that, you know, the parents paid all this dough for the kids to go there in small groups, right? It wasn't a lot of kids that went there, but it was like, you know, rich kids and whatever. Yeah. Um, and you get in there and you go to this school. But the teachers had this way of just writing a recommendation letter to any school you wanted to go to and getting the kids in. Wow. Because it was that kind of level of, you know, they knew how to do these things. And so that's what you were almost paying for, you know, by going to the private school. Because they had, you know, kids did, like these kids, yeah, they were rich kids, but they were smart. Like they had to throw down at the school and really do the work. Yeah, yeah. They didn't, they couldn't stay. So the bar was high, um, but it was a whole different makeup, right? Like yeah. I look at what my kids have to do in private school and all I do is pay the fees. And as long as they show up and pass the classes, you know, at the, the minimum level, you know, they just get dragged along. You yeah. know, um, whereas this was you, you basically, if you didn't do the work, you kick it kicked out. A number of kids got kicked out because they just didn't do the grades. Yeah. So, you know, um, and they ended up back in my public school and so they bounced back over and I was just in the regular public school, which was, a, to, to be honest, was had a high bar, Yeah. you know, if anyway. So, um, yeah, but it was a, an interesting gambit of, uh, the old public private concept. It was, it's so much bigger here, um, compared to what I grew up with, but. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was the same. I think when my parents were making the decision, um, I think my mom was a bit of an advocate for private school and my dad um having grown up in europe where the majority is public right it's kind of like no andrew just will go to public school yeah um you know it's the the schools here are fine the schools in the area um like i don't live far from here the schools in the area were, were like more than the above so you um, always lived in ride i've always lived in ride yeah dude always lived in ride yeah it's a great area sure yeah i mean i got no issues with ride I was in West Ride the other day at a computer store. Oh, I know that computer store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which <laughs> one is it? Oh, no, there are two, aren't there? I don't know. I only went to one of them. <laughs> oh, jeez. Now you're Shit. putting me on the spot. Hold on. It's, uh, it's behind. I'll give you one hint. What is it? Um, what's the... Victoria's Basement is nearby on the main road. I feel like... Or a pet, pet barn, possibly. Pet stores on the main road at the intersection. You have to go around and back into an industrial area. Yeah, yes, but I, don't, I, I can't remember the name. But it's it's on that it's on that sort of eh side of. Yeah, it's pretty iffy back there. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, you go back there and you're just like, what is happening back here? And I, and I was listening to a podcast and it was about a girl who had been sexually assaulted. And I'm like, this feels really weird right now because <laughs> it was about like PTSD. And um, it was this American Life. It was like uh, ten steps. It was like this. Uh, I can't remember the name of what it was, but it, it was a form of therapy. And this girl had been sexually um, sexually assaulted, and she was going through the steps of you know kind of going through this really intense uh, workbook approach to doing it, not not non traditional therapy approach. Yeah. Um. So it, it was a distressing story, but yeah, and I kind of make light of it. But yeah, it was very interesting in the sense of kind of tying this back to what we're talking about, like sort of mental state and dealing with that. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and what was going on in her head and how she was dealing with it. And then, and what was almost even more interesting about it was there were these stuck points in this therapy, right? And you'd have these stuck points where you couldn't get past it because you created a perspective about something Yeah. and that perspective, um, would hold you back. You'd almost rationalize it in, in a way that made it okay or rationalize it in a way where you should have done something differently or, you know, negative and positive. Yeah. And it made me really think about this, you know, concept of self-talk. 
and what self-talk is and then how we also all you don't have to have trauma yeah. or serious trauma to have what I would actually agree with as these sort of sticking points in your life where, you know, in the last um, interview with Scott, he talked about learning stuff, yeah. you know, and he had a bit of a stuck point that that might've defined his ability to learn or not learn in certain scenarios. What was something that he created, what was called a stuck point, yeah. you know, an inability to move past or a logical reason to hold on to that perspective and, and not necessarily move forward right um to which point then later in life he decided to relieve that stuck point he probably had a mechanism to get past it and then he moved through the next thing yeah um okay so we've talked a bit about who you are yeah had a bit of you know banter around bits and pieces yeah um but uh the part that's interesting i think for me as you think about your trajectory of who you are uni kid dabbling around in an ice hockey community to get bolster your skill set, right? Getting that opportunity to do some skill set. Yep. Um, then using it, uh, you know, it's getting your job and then jumping into this, what would seemingly be this sort of dream job situation that gives you a lot of outlet. Yep. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some rationales, right? Where were you at in uni, you know, from uh, what did you think? Did you have, you know, sort of imposter syndrome? Did you have some of these, you know, sort of doubts or opportunity or like, you know, uh, or, you know, were you full like Dunning-Kruger on the whole thing and just thought, I'm just going to go and I'm the awesome, I'm awesome and I'm going to make it all happen, you know, like this <laughs> blind ambition, um, you know, maybe talk a little bit about that. Did you have any, you know, sort of darkness inside of like this exploration of, you know, moving down the path? Uh, yeah, um, I definitely say at least once or twice, um, actually multiple times I've, I've felt a bit of imposter syndrome, mm. um, a bit through uni. I think there are some points during my course where, yeah, I was, I could say I was a bit out of my depth. Yeah. Um, there are skill sets that I know I'm not good at, like I'm horrible at math. Sure. So that, you know, that immediately, um, took me down a, a very deep hole of imposter syndrome and going, sure, sure I know everything. Oh, and yeah, yeah. you just, you just sort of way out of, out of your depth on that one. Um, most of uni was, was actually okay in, cause it was stock standard business stuff. And yeah. I'd learned a lot of business, uh, done a lot of business courses in, um, high school. So it was kind of my natural progression. Sure. Um, in terms of, you know, when I got into my career, um, again, tourism sort of came naturally. Um, I come from a tourism and hospitality family. Like oh, right. my dad's a chef, my um, my brothers worked in tourism as well. Sure. Um, and so it, it's always come sort of easy to me and, and being able to do reservations and sort of doing that logistics operations yep. aspect. Makes sense. Um, in, in my head. Mm. Um, I think the biggest, I guess, uh, I guess the biggest, um, challenge that I ever had, um, you know, from a career point of view was when I moved into this content side, learning mm. a bit more about content, how to film it, mm. um, and how to edit and so forth. That was basically refining my skill set. Yeah. It, it came to a point where I enjoy content. I enjoy making it, but, um, it was going from this sort of amateurish level to this intermediate, almost pro level. Yeah. That kind of, that's where my imposter syndrome sort sure. of started to to um, increase a little bit. And then um, from a hockey point of view, um, I would definitely say when I got bolted into the leadership position mm. as president, I'm dealing with all of these um, various aspects and topics and, and things that, um, that I've never been confronted with before. Sure. Um, and uh, as an individual, like I, I know who I am. I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert. I'm also mm. a bit of a non-confrontational person. Yes. Uh, just off off the offset. Yeah. Um, so dealing with that sort of stuff was was where I think, yeah, a bit of that imposter syndrome sort of rung high and it was kind of like, okay, I've got to find a way to, 
to sort of tackle this and sort of um, get over it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so that's the big thing, right? And yeah. so one of the things I'm trying to share with people is different methods, yeah. approaches, you know, like you talk about one, you called out this math thing, right? Yeah. But then you also said, and, and sorry, this isn't an investigation, but it is an interview, an interview. Yeah. Um, but then you also were going for accounting, right? And that's an interesting sort of polarity, right? Yeah. So worried about mathematics, not great at it, had to figure that out. Yeah. Also then chased accounting, which is heavily math, Yeah. Uh, but math patterns, right? But but to be fair, mathematics, right? And you're relied upon to be good at maths, right? Yeah. Can't fail there. Um, to then going down a path of having experience in doing logistical delivery, right? In tourism and whatnot, but then moving into a, almost a foreign area of content creation, yeah. right? And then having to go not only from sort of an amateur status to a pro top-notch level yeah. and having to navigate that, um, you know, do you have tactics or do you, do you leverage any sort of tools in, you know, your, your mind to work through these sorts of, I guess, gaps, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I think, I think the, the tools I use in, in terms of my head is I, I, I look at breaking down the problem. Sure. Um, I look at breaking down the gaps. Um, and I guess this sort of, this sort of uh, extrapolates to the concept of self-talk. Oh, look, yeah. we're there already. We're there. Um, and it's just uh, that internal dialogue in your head and just um, going off um, and telling yourself, look, this is, you know, you're there, there's a bit of a gap here. What can I do to, you know, uh, I guess increase my skill set mm. or, or increase my um, professionalism or, or my amateur status in, in that uh, respective topic, um, or that respective area. Um, and then for me, it's also knowing where my strengths lie in, in how I can go from a start point of, of, um, I guess, uh, recognizing that gap to coming to a point where I've actually made progress. Um, and for me, what, one of those tactics is I'm a, I'm a bit of a visual and practical learner. Sure. So I know, you know, I've, I've got to go out there and do it. Hence mm. why, I guess, from a math point of view, if, if we want to go back to that example in university, um, math, yes, was my well, was a bit of an issue. Accounting, yes, took a bit of time to sort of get my head around that. Mm. The best way for me to make that, to, to really harness that ability to uh, make that skill better in me is to go out there and, and actually do it. Sure. And, yeah. and work on it and, you know, work on the failings and, and, and fail. I mean, fail is, is an failing is a natural thing sure. in, in the pursuit of life. You know, mm. you're going to fail at some things. The, the, I think the big point and the big topic of, of it all is pick yourself up, dust yourself off and, and learn and, yeah. and do it again. And, mm. you know, for the most part you, you get there, you get maybe 75, 80% there. Mm. And then it's all about refining that to where you get to that, 95, 99, 100% of mm. you're on point, you're on target. Yeah. Um, and you're experienced with the job at hand or the skill set that you need to perform that particular job. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. I think that, um, and I like, again, I, I am an advocate of failure in the right way. Yeah. You know, sometimes failure sucks, right? And we yeah. all experience a failure that, that one kind of bashes your ego, it bashes your, your sort of self worth, you know, those things happen. Um, but the greatest people that I've ever heard of have a, the resilience to think about those things, understand and learn from those moments, right? Because everything you can learn from and then modifying their world out in order to do this better the next time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know across my life, I've lowered my bar of acceptable down to probably 60%. Yeah. You know, there was a time in my life where I thought this was crazy. Yeah. I'm not doing enough. 
But in reality, every time I pushed for things that were super high up, yeah. the, the, the gap almost, the Pareto sort of situation where you're even hitting 80%, yeah. you're getting dragged out forever to yeah. not do anything for that last 20. And yeah. you almost, it's, it's almost a, it's a tough situation. It almost forces a failure. Yeah. Right. And so I've become this massive advocate of doing things and getting them done quickly, early, um, getting them out there and learning in a, you know, a cyclical loop, right. Yeah. And feedback. I mean, I've worked with some great, um, product design guys that, um, actually, you know, they raised or this voice in me even higher in the sense that let's not do a lot of stuff that commits us. Let's do a lot more research first. Let's do interviews. Let's ask these questions well ahead of time mm. before all things are you know, down a path that are destined for a failure. Yes. You know, and so yeah. even then you can lower the bar even lower and go, you know what? Perhaps 20% is enough to learn whether we should even try something. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden these perspectives and these things in your minds can shift. Yeah. And you can look at getting things done much earlier in a way where you have much more control over the failure. Yeah. Um, and then you can deal with it, right? In yeah. a very different way, in a positive way. Um, so in failure, um, you know, how, how do you deal with failure? You know, like in the, in those moments, you know, is it... Is it, do you beat yourself up? Do you kind of go through a bit of the ringer with it? Or do you just kind of, you know, water off a duck's back? How do, how do you kind of respond to failure? Uh, it's, it's situational. Sure. Um, I, I would say if it's, if it's something I've, I've, I've done before or it was a real easy miss on my part. Mm. Um, and there are times where that's happened to me. It's happened to a lot of people. Sure. It's just a case of, you know, that, that internal dialogue again of, damn it, Rumps, you're, you're better than that. Yeah, like, sure. come on, man, yeah. pick it up. And, and, and then I get on with it and, and, you know, I look to improve it and, and do, you know, 200% better yeah. than, than before. If it's something that I'm new to or um, that I've never, that I've never done before. Um, for me, it's a case of, I, I like to look at the positives out of the failure. Right. Um, so if, if the whole situation or task or whatever it is would have been, a failure in itself. Um, I guess a good example, if we want to loop it into hockey, for example, is learning to skate. Yeah. If I was doing a certain skill, couldn't master the skill or couldn't do the skill or fell over or whatever, you know, my the way I process that is, did I get one part of the technique right or, or part of the process right to a point of me saying to myself, okay, it's baby steps. Yeah. Now I've, I've done this, this and that. Now I have to, you know, uh, do the extra um, 20, 10%, whatever that is the gap that mm. will get me there to perfect it. Sure. So it's yeah. about breaking it down. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I mean, it's about finding the good in it. Yeah. Right. Because I think that in every failure, there's there's a learning point. Yeah. There's things, if you're not paying attention, this is often something I'll say, um, you know, if you're not paying attention to what's happening mm. and, and in that failure, you're going to miss the opportunity to evolve from it, right? Yeah. So, so you can either let your emotions drive you into the ground and you can be pissed off and you can just go, I'm not good enough and then just compartmentalize it and walk away yeah. and then go back at the same task again and fail again because you just don't want to deal with it. Or you can stop, you can reflect, you can look at what was good about it. You can look where the point at which it may have failed and then you can go, what will I do differently? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. You know, visualization is a massive thing. I, I think that that's a huge opportunity for people to take advantage of you yeah. know so like looking at a situation and retrospect going well how would i have done that differently mm. what opportunities do i have and that's i think yeah, hindsight's i always say 50 50 but that's wrong because apparently you can only have 20 20 vision isn't that the deal yes right yeah. so i want to say it's 50 50 because for me that's 100 percent. but yeah. it's it, like you get it's wrong 20 20 
which makes no right. sense because why can't why are your eyes 2020 this has been explained to me and i still just my mind won't let this be a reality yeah but anyways anyways yeah, hindsight's yeah. 2020 <laughs> and uh and and uh you know but i think that's a good thing and being yeah. able to see it completely means that you can go forth and do it again yeah uh, and you can go better right you don't have to smash it the next time but yeah. you can at least be okay with the idea that yes i messed that up Yes, I had a failure point, but I know I'll do better next time. Yeah. And I think in society now, and again, going kind of tinfoil hat with the world of tech, you know, the bar, what you think the bar is, is super high. Yeah. Because everything you bring into your world through your device or through the internet or through television or whatever yeah. is super polished. Yes. And absolutely. it's meant to make it look perfect, right? Content creation. Yes. You want this thing to look perfect perfect yes, right indeed. and you want everyone to think this is the best possible thing in the world and i must mm. have i must be part of you know i must right yeah and 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 if i don't see myself there i must aspire to be there yeah right and you think about cars right no i must own a ferrari yes i must own a porsche right i mean these are hundreds of thousands if not a million dollars yeah the likelihood of people owning those cars are low percentage small small minimal minimal <laughs> yeah driving one for fun maybe but yes. even that's thousands of dollars, right? You yes. know, like, what am I? I'm sacrificing a holiday just to go drive a Ferrari, possibly exactly for an hour, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, these, these realities are, are constant in our lives coming through these devices and into our worlds that affect our minds around, okay, I failed. I failed because I'm not good enough, mm. right? And that, that sucks because I yeah. don't think that's the world we should live in. I don't no. think that there was ever a world at the beginning of the chain of humans yeah. doing their thing where failure failure resulted in death i guess basically in the early days yeah, yeah possibly possibly starving or possibly that but you, the the fact that in time our failures were an evolution and yes. failing meant learning failure meant evolving failure meant saving your family feeding your family feeding your village all that sort of stuff to the point at which somebody invented um, commerce and then all things went downhill so yeah. i think the point is like you know we've lived in a world where it's jettisoned from failure to must be perfect yeah you know yeah there's there's no there's no in between it's it's feels almost like it. It, it feels sometimes like it's a naught or 100 rule yeah um and you know i've 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 told this to myself i've told this to several people it's you know you can always aspire to have that big goal yeah. you can always have that big end goal and and i have I have big goals um, all the time that I that I plan in my head, but at the same time, you've either got to break that goal up into easy, achievable, small steps. Smart. You know, yep. Go. You know, sometimes the small goals add up to the big goal long term, mm. um, and that also gets you the easy wins um, or the the process or that path, yeah. um, so to speak. So yeah, I mean, I, and and I think as well, um, failure failure in, in the old days was a case of it, it was almost interwoven into a process, mm. um, a process that we had to go through. You know, like you speak of starvation, sure. you know, like, oh, you know, sometimes if the harvest wasn't right enough or yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. don't know what the right terminology is, but, you know, maybe a family does starve for a couple of days or, mm. or whatnot, you know, that, mm. that might be a thing. That's a process. It's not a, it's not a hard and fast. This is a failure. This is a mm. failure of your family and what you've, you yeah. know, yeah. done to provide for your family. It's sure. back then families would just get around and go, oh, okay, it's slow harvest day. looks like we're not eating for a couple of days. And yeah. so, or possibly the neighboring family helps out or whatever. Yeah. Right. But like, it was like, you know, those failures were shared, even yes. in, you know, but I think you're, I think you're back on, like, it's like one of those things where it isn't the end of the world. Yeah. 
And I think that's one of the messages is that in your mind, whilst it feels like it could be the end of the world in that moment, what are you doing? And this isn't necessarily a question, but what do you do to bounce back? How do you jump from the low to the high, back into some middle ground where you know you will be okay and succeed again? And that's certainly something I'm trying to have a bigger conversation around building these tool sets out for people, right? Mm. Um, not everybody wants to talk about these things. You know, some people are very uncomfortable to talk about failure. Mm. You know, some people won't even admit that they failed. Yeah. Um, which is interesting in itself because i mean i think on a on a daily basis i'll fail at least once at yeah. something yeah at something oh yeah you know like whether or not and it's always through the old 2020 vision oh, yeah. the hindsight that i go oh damn i shouldn't have done that or that was wrong um you know and i go next time i'm not gonna you know go down that path or i might go you know what i'm gonna try that again uh and see if i get the same result you know because experimenting with failure is kind of fun too because yeah. um, sometimes safe failure is, is the right thing. You know, is that it as a result or is there enough information for me to make that decision? Um, you know, next time or change, you know, sometimes you don't know. And that's yeah. also okay too, right? Yeah. Sometimes you don't need to have the answer to move forward in, in, in your life, right? And this could be with work. This could be with a relationship. This could be with anything, right? Yeah, yeah, for you sure. Know, it's, it's always a, a situation where you can have space to learn. Yes, um, yeah. and and f- that's that that is the whole point of of failure in my mind. It's it, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an mm. opportunity to digress and collate and come back and approach it with maybe a different set of me- uh, methodology or um, or attacking it again and just being resilient and persevering. Yeah, um, that that's the whole point. And and if uh, I, I think that's essential to to us, you know, living and, and existing, like. Mm. You know, how, how else do you go about achieving something or, or achieving the end result? So, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, uh, do you have any gossip about who you are? Something Ooh. that nobody would know that you would be willing to divulge with an invisible audience on the internet? Oh, potentially. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, I've always, I've always wanted to be a pilot. A pilot? Yes. And is this like a childhood thing or yes. is this an adult thing? Okay, so like no, no, a childhood pilot. Child, childhood, that is still very much um, a thing of I would definitely like to try and pursue it at some point. What's holding you um, back? Um, Don't say time. No, 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 no not, time. not time at all. I would, I would definitely say um, I, I, think, I think when I was a kid, my aspirations were I wanted to become a commercial pilot. And, oh, right. Yeah. You know, that that's probably, you know, unless, you know, the other flip side of the coin of being at the top of, of, a, of a pilot is an Air Force pilot. Sure. But they all require the same thing. They all require, you know, good smarts, good reactions, but also, um, I guess, good theory knowledge in, in, in space of maths and physics. Sure. A place that I was never, ever really comfortable. Right. Nor strong in. Sure. Um, so th- that's probably what's held me back in the past. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe also with a newfound of uh, adulthood and maturity in, mm. and discipline, it might it might be different. Yeah. In terms of trying to approach it, uh, but yeah, I've I've always been fascinated by aviation. I've always travelled as a kid, so flying and aircraft and that sort of stuff has never bothered me. Yeah. You know, turbulence, none of that stuff sure. ever bothered me ever. Um, sure. So it, it's. And I've I've always done the flight simulator games and that sort of stuff. There's so there's always been both uh, a comfort in flying as well as a technical and and and, uh, and I guess an intellectual um, knowledge base there of me wanting to, so, to fly. So which way would you go 
would you have the uh, hello? This is your captain speaking, or would it be hello? This is the president of the airplane speaking to you today. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's El Presidente. <laughs> El Presidente here. Please <laughs> enjoy the flight. The flight. <laughs> a little bit of turbulence. <laughs> the exits are here and here. Oh wait, no, that's a flight. That's a flight attendant. That's true. Uh, you're not going to get to the exits. That's not what the president or the captain would be doing. That's they, true. They they always start with this is your captain speaking, just so we're all clear. Yes. Because nobody wants to confuse the voice over the intercom with anybody else talking. <laughs> Although the the flight attendants rarely talk. I think the only people that get comms, unless there's an emergency, are the captain. True. Have you heard flight attendants talk? Yeah. The, but it's rare. It's normally like... Gen- generally, the generally it's the captain that starts off, then like the chief purser yeah, afterwards. Right. right, right. Um, chief purser. Yeah, that's, that's like your... Oh, cabin t- service manager you are or such a nerd a plane nerd look at you i know aviation everything. and tourism I'm an a- dude aviation and tourism. come on oh my god <laughs> like the purser chief purser yeah is it like like queen purse is that what we're saying purse uh i actually don't know where the term originated but is from. it purse we're saying purse chief purser yeah huh well i've never heard that before so i learned something new today the yeah. chief purser and there's only one of those Yes. That'd be like the head, the 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 senior flight attendant, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm, I think the more modern day equivalent in some airlines is um, like in flight service manager. Right, right. Or, oh, the modern way. Or yeah. customer service manager, customer service, or yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever wanky title you want to attach it to. A wanky title. Yeah. Oh, geez. Now you're talking down on your old little dream, <laughs> little dream of the flight attendant. Well, hey, hey, I'm up front, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't care about what's going on behind you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, hey, that's an interesting one from yeah. a gossip perspective. Um, not good to tell me your gossip because I might use it against you, but you know that's cool. We'll we'll I'll reserve my timing of you know any sort of captaincy of planes. I, I wouldn't is, is this sh- is this ship going down, Rubble? <laughs> cool. Um, all right, let's jump into. Uh, I guess we've covered what you do for a living. Yep. Um, I guess the big one is, this is always the line in the sand, uh, whether this goes one way or the other is, are you happy in your life? Yes. Good. Very much so. Good. Yes. I don't know what's going to happen if somebody says no. It could. I, I'm still wondering if it will happen. Should or, I just say it for dramatic effect? No, no. No, no Joe, I'm no, not happy. Not happy. <laughs> um, I still wonder what will happen at that point. Um, what makes you happy in your life? How, how do you know you're happy in your life? Um... Oh, it's a few things. Um, so family, family's great. Um, I've always had a very supportive, nurturing, um, and caring family. Mm. Um, and that, that's always been sort of a rock and a base. Um, an extension of that is I'd like to call them my second family, my, um, my best friends, friends I've grown up with through high school Mm. who to this day I'm still friends with. Um, you know, having a good group of friends has, has always, you know, kept me sort of um, in lines. A uh, 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 not not a great term, but I guess just focused on the narrow pa- on the same path. Because I think when you've got friends who are doing the exact same thing, it kind of motivates you sure. yourself. Um, and they're obviously supporting and caring and nurturing. We all are with mm. each other, and um, at the same time as well, you know, jobs great. It's it's a dream job that I've wanted for a while, and that's mm. that's sort of. Um, thing I wanted to do, and you know, I don't, I don't think of the trivial things in my in my job. I used to in in previous jobs. Um, I don't anymore, and so it's kind of like I got to get up, I got to do this work because it's what I need to do. It's sure it's my task list, and yeah. so that that's kind of all good. And then you know, hockey's great. Like mm. you know, it's great giving back to the community. It's great mm. being able to learn 
um, and and add, build your skill set and and lead from a front and you know devise strategies and and grow business. Sure. Um, yeah. For lack of a better term. Mm. It's an interesting one, friend group. Like I don't have, I mean, I don't say I don't have friends. I have a lot of friends, um, but I don't have that sort of core group from my childhood, which I think is right. a, an interesting friend group to have. Or, or I look over the fence, right? Always greener, I guess, in that scenario. Yeah. And I think of, um, I think of that stuff, right? Mm. It's really weird. I had a dream the other night that one of my childhood friends was in a, in my dream. Oh, wow. uh, and it was like, he was, I was somewhere in like Australia. I only know it's Australia because I was, I was kind of inwardly a little pissed that he didn't tell me he was here. Yeah. But I wasn't also, I was I'm not surprised because, you know, it's like, I don't see this, this person ever. I mean, I've seen him a couple of times since I've left my home state. Right. Yeah. Um, but there he was. And, it was like a cafe and he was running a cafe. He was behind the counter. Mm. And I was like, what are you doing? I can't believe you're here in Australia. You know, why didn't you tell me you're here? Blah, blah, blah. And then we ended up kind of like having this really weird hangout, whatever, yeah. you know, wherever we were. And it was like nondescript Australia, but you know, it was like townish sort of thing. Yeah. So then the next day I messaged him and I said, Hey buddy, I had a dream about you last night, you know, a little, little DMing, uh, can't, you know, um, he was like, you know, you were in Australia and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he's he responded back to me saying, "Well, mate, uh, that's one hell of a premonition because I'm actually going to be coming to Australia in November, oh, and wow. I'm going to Byron Bay." No way! And I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy, right?" And I always think about like the bonds you create yeah. with people, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I guess the question I'm going to ask you um, is, is uh, you know, are, how how honest or do you have a level of persona that you represent with that group of people comparatively to say other groups of people like professional people you know are you freer in your mind with say your childhood friends or your family even your family to your childhood friends or and then to your work group or do you live more of a a free life you know outside of your mind like so if you have issue or you have sort of dark you know thoughts or you feel a failure or whatever yeah are you more apt to share that in the workplace versus with your friends versus with your family or do you have different sort of weird personas or lines you don't cross with those groups? Um, I would I would say it's I'd say up to a line. I'm I'm a bit of a, a free spirit in terms of I'm mm. I'll happily share um, certain aspects and and things with a whole variety group of people. Yeah, and my general personality and my my attitude and persona is the same across pretty much people I meet. Sure. Um, but in terms of what I like when it comes to more personal things, yeah. I mean, there, there are things that, you know, are more reserved for family and that close group of friends sure. um, versus, you know, work colleagues and, and so forth. And mm. I think that morphs over time. Like if, if I was, let's say, to be in this job for like five or six years with the same colleagues and probably it would start morphing into I share a bit more closely with work colleagues that I've worked right. with a longer period of time because they elevate in my mind to a, I guess, um, you know, a, a closer friendship status. Well, I mean, work, the workplace is insanely intimate. Yeah. Right. Like it's not about, you know, uh, sort of, uh, love, but I mean, they, like working with people is an insanely intimate environment. Yeah, it is. Like it's, it, is. it can be more intimate in the workplace than it can be at home. Yeah. I, like not all the time. Like I'm, you know, I'm far more intimate with my children and my wife than I am with people at work in the sense of like the depths at which I'm willing to go and, and be involved and care and mm. love. But like at work, I, you know, you can commit to situations and just be completely into something emotionally and, and, and intellectually yeah. on a regular basis. Like it's just constant. Right. And um, yeah, I find it interesting that potentially in the workforce, we have a much more resilient or, or a drawn back line of what we're willing to expose mm. in order to maintain a perception versus you know, 
what we might do with close friends versus family, you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, I tend to live almost exactly the same, like this sort of line. I don't really hold back as such anywhere. Yep. I may temper how far I'll go in the workforce because I know that others may not receive me well. Yep. I mean, that's part of like sort of that emotional intelligence side of like, okay, well, I know if I do the full Joe show here that people are going to freak out, you know, or they're going to have a really hard time engaging. I won't get an outcome or we won't all move forward as a group yeah. as a result of that. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, but outside of that, I'm, I'm quite, you know, resilient to the idea that, you know, I also don't really care as well, you know, in some scenarios, because I'm like, you know, I don't really care if you don't like it, I'm still going to say it, you know, yeah. and, um, or I don't care if that the outcome is going to be different. I'm going to go after this, um, because I think we all should at least explore this together as a group, right? Because yeah. ultimately, we may get somewhere a little bit different than where the original idea might go. Yeah. You know, same with my family, you know, um, I tend to be the one that's making a lot of the decisions which yeah. drives me insane because I want others in my family to make decisions. Right. But then at the same time, I'm okay with that because I'm t still dragging them, kicking and screaming along with the decision-making process, right? <laughs> We're all going to do this together, you know, um, that sort of a thing, which I, I find interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny one. I, I, I think close friends are, you know, incredibly important. I think that yeah. they're, they, they're, they are, are almost the extension of a family replacement in many scenarios. Yeah. Um, you know, you tend to probably be more honest with your close friends than you are with your own family at, at times with things that are happening inside of you mm. and, and where you're at and how you feel about stuff. Um, you know, and, and the sharing, you know, the sharing of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't have really huge connections with my family. So that's like one of those things. I've just always been a bit of a, uh, I don't know. I guess for lack of a better description, I was going to sue my parents for sovereignty, like yeah. at a young age, right? Just getting away from them and saying, I don't want you to be my parents anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, that's where I was at as a child of, you know, 17, you know, like you, I'm done with you guys. Like, I don't want I don't want you in my lives and I'm not, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be completely free of you. Um, that didn't go well, but, <laughs> but I was willing to do it. Right. Um, so I think I've always been a bit of a, uh, a soloist, someone who was on his own or felt like he was uh, alone. Yep. So I often struggle with this idea of, of, of sharing some stuff, right? Yeah. Um, it's not that I'm, I, I know that contradicts what I said, but it's only because I, there's a timing point at which I'll share a thing. You know, yeah. I want to understand it first. Once I am okay with where I'm at with it, then I will, will share it unless it's something that's just sort of an immediacy thing. Um, and I've, I've noticed a pattern in my behavior where you know, I internalize uh, a lot of how I'll go about something, whether it's an emotional thing or a mental thing, whatever, uh, yeah. good or bad. And I, I temper it out as a pattern before I then share it. And it almost, it's not necessarily a filter, but there's filtration involved, Yeah. Um, which I don't know if is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes the exposure, my theory is the exposure is what's important, exposing yeah. these things to others to being held accountable for it. If I'm filtering it, am I not creating a different accountability structure and I've made it sort of a different thing, right? So the, the yeah, initial yeah. sort of shock and awe of what I'm feeling, which is I'm a piece of shit and I'm no good at something, which I do all the time, yeah. um, is then turned into, no, you're not, because I've developed all these tools of being sort of by myself for so long in, the, in my mind and they go, no, you're not, actually you did all right, blah, 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 everything's okay, da, da, da. And then I'll come back with a, more PR version of what that was when I share it with family, you know, or, or friends, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I think that's an interesting point in, you know, I guess a conversation around what do you, what do you do, you know, with a negative when you're can't fix it right in your mind, 
Do you have those? Do you ever suffer from a long, drawn-out negative? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've had a few um, in the past. I think um, I, it's, it's kind of similar to what, to what you're saying. Mm. I think, um, I think for me, I, I like to process it. I, yeah. I like to take time to, to break it down in my head. Um, there is part of my mind which is highly analytical mm. and um and then sort of my operational side kicks in and goes mm. ha how are we going to fix this or right. um and then i think from that point it then develops as you would put it um a filtration process on sure. it um and you know there's there's been points in yeah my life where ah uh, things aren't doing too well but you know sort of mustering mm. through or mm. i know what to do to to fix it and i'm going to go out there and try and try and overcome it and and get things done and then and then hopefully it works out and it gets better and yeah that's all you can do that's all you can do to, yeah. to try and, and improve the situation and do you notice that um whilst you're going through these things there's an external effect like your your moods and your emotions play out outside of you know who you are and others then become aware of them or are you you know tend to have a great mask and can just deal with things uh sometimes i think i think in the early stages uh of a uh, of a problem like that, um, it's quite easy for me to, mm. to mask it. Yeah. Um, I think there is a point in in um, a long drawn out process where I just become a little bit impatient. Sure. Um, there's a lot of like for me personally, I'm actually under the skin. I'm I'm a bit of an impatient person. Yeah. I'm kind of like, geez, you know, let's, let's go, let's go. Yeah. Um, but I like to filter that in in a sense of wait, hang on, other side of the brain thinking. What about this? What about that? How about we just take a few seconds to sort of just be mindful and 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 look at the the situation as a whole and and not completely explode. Um, and I think when it's a long drawn out process, there there is a point in me that goes, all right, something's got to happen. And yeah. if it doesn't happen, then my frustrations start to I guess creep to the surface yeah, a right. little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to, my I've noticed a definite. Um, it's like a uh, an externalization effect that you know whilst I'm dealing with things, people generally notice uh, you know if they're if they're heavier, right? And so my my energy levels outside of me will play out up and down. You know, mm. I, I can still mask a lot of it in the sense of like, yes, I'm wearing the load of it and I'm dealing with it, but then I'll have still have to operate, right? Still have to go out to work, still have to go out to hockey, still have to go be a dad, be a husband, whatever. Yeah, and that bit that that um. <clears throat> my want and desires are waning, you know, to be a part of that moment, right? Yeah. And you, and people will always, I always notice a response where people struggle, right? They're like, oh, Joe's not there. Yeah. Um, you know, because I'm either, you know, either myself, you know, at about 80% or I'm like pushing 200, right? And there's like, there's these middle grounds, but sometimes I'm crazy, full on, you know, going for it. And sometimes I'm just sort of there, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and I t I'm starting to correlate a little bit of that, like I'm processing heavy. Yeah. Right. I got a lot going on up top sometimes uh, to the point where I wish my brain would shut up. Um, you know, like, you know, my brain will just decide when I'm, you know, I, I'm starting to notice a pattern where, you know, if I've got a lot going on, like, you know, say, say with this podcast or say with work or say with things that are happening at work or say, you know, things that just play out, um, I'll notice that I put my alarm on. Mm hmm. My alarm plays like the ocean sounds to kind of help me fall off to sleep, which I like a little bit of soothing tones. Yep. Um, and then what ends up happening is, is, is that I fall asleep in that window of time. I think it's like a 15 to 30 minute window. Yeah. And then I, I, I want to say that it literally at the 31st to 40th minute, I wake back up full open. Oh, wow. And I'm uh, wide awake. Yeah. And yeah. my brain's decided now is the time 
to process some shit. Let's go through some stuff. <laughs> I have an agenda item. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, and I don't know where it comes from, but I just pop awake, and I'm like, okay, you're good. You're you're wide awake. You're laying in bed. It's pitch black. The thing is off. I know it's because the sounds are off. Yeah. And I'm like, you've got to be shitting me. Like, is this really now that yeah. this has to happen? I want a good, clean night's sleep. I don't want to have to wake up. And I, and I just realized it's possibly because I've perfected the art of a nap. Yeah. That it's possible that my body <laughs> now thinks it just had a nap and it's waking up. Oh, man. Uh, napping. Anyways, I love a good nap. See, see I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite. I've, I've always found it's, I've always struggled to nap. Right. Um, like, I'll do it every now and again, but I'm, I always struggle to do it. So whenever I have to get to sleep, I actually think of a complex problem. Oh wow! Yeah, I I don't I don't know why that helps me get to bed, but it's yeah. kind of like, all right, I'm gonna think about something, and it'd be something like I don't know club finances, and I'd be just doing it in my head, and then I'd nod off to sleep. But, Anyone would fall asleep doing club finances. Yeah, yeah, I know, but but I mean, it's it's other things as well. The, 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 I hear you. I hear you. The annoying the annoying thing about it is is when when you have an idea or when you go down a, a path of, oh, I'm gonna think about what we can do to make the hockey club better, for example. And then you're rallying off some ideas in your head and you're just playing that situation out. And then I fall asleep. And then I wake up the next morning. I'm like, wait, what was that there? Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I re- actually realized that I've, I've taught myself a couple things in my dreams. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I've taught myself how to do double unders in CrossFit. So jumping rope, but doing a double under. Oh, wow. And I learned that. I finally got that in my mind. My mind wrapped, my, like it's, yeah, wrapped myself my mind wrapped its mind around itself yeah. in my dream, the pattern. Right. And then I went in and I was able to do them, which was just ridiculous. I just realized this the other day. And then um, and I realized how to do something else. But because it, it, it used to invade in my dreams and I just would solve things in my dreams, mm. wake up the next day, be able to, oh, touch typing, typing on a, uh, on a keyboard. Oh, yeah, I yeah. could not do it. Yeah. But all of a sudden, and I remember having a really vivid dream of like the feeling of doing it. Yeah. And I swear I was just doing it not too long after that. It just, my brain finally... Ar- you know, architected it so I could do it. Yeah. Uh, now I have this weird window before I finally go to bed at night where I wake up <laughs> and my brain says, hey, nap time's over, buddy. You got some shit to do. <laughs> um, I'd much rather do it in my dreams. I think that'd be far better off. Um, so we did a survey. Yes. How did you feel about that survey? It's a bit of a generic thing that I put together to kind of get a feel for stuff. Did you, I mean, it was a little while ago that you took it, so I don't yep. expect you to know the answers from it, and that's not the point. But I think, you know, taking something that kind of asks some questions around whether you're aware of yourself, aware of what goes on inside of you, yep. uh, aware of your impact on others. I mean, you know, did, did you find any interest in those sorts of things? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm, very, I'm, I'm very interested in, like, the psychometric right. sort of questions and, sure. and, and that sort of stuff and, and how people think. Um, and, you know, just in general, like observing people and, and mm. how they make decisions and actions and the consequences of that. Yeah. Um, so the survey was, was actually quite interesting to, to take. Yeah. And quite interesting equally to answer them. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you go 100% honest or did you pull back at all? Uh, no, for the most bit part, I think I was 100% honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So like comfort zone. Yep. Kind of place your introvert. You, you, you left yourself real close to your comfort zone. Yep. But then ironically, I find that you've done things in your life that really push you well out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So, so there are some things I think it, under the right circumstances and with the right people, I'm happy to push my comfort zone. Sure. Um, like, I guess, I guess one example is I've never been, I've never been too comfortable with, I guess, 
heights or extreme sort of activities. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden um, at 21, uh, on my 21st birthday, it was kind of like, oh, I want to go skydiving. Right. So I went skydiving. Did you? Yeah. And a load of fun. Yeah. I'm, sure, do it. I'm sure. I'm not going to do it. I'm not because <laughs> I'm too old. I'm too old, man. We'll go together. I get children. I don't want to die. You won't. I know I won't die, but it's the idea that I risk the death, right? So like, once I had children, I, couldn't, I, I had an issue with flying all of a sudden. Really? Oh, 100%. Because it was like, I feel responsible for their livelihood. Right. Now I'm dis- disconnected in a very uncontrolled situation, and my mind would race to, what will happen if you die on this flight today? I never had an issue with flying my entire life. I was flying to and from Hawaii. I was flying solo. Like by myself it, through international airports as a minor from the time I was seven, unaccompanied. Right. Yeah. Right from Idaho to Hawaii. Like my mom was like, Do you really need to be like in the thing? And I'm like, Because it costs money. I was like, Nah, I know how to move around. So from like seven, eight years old, I was just walking around international airports by myself. Right. Hanging out in terminals, waiting for my flights, connecting myself around. I had no problem with flying. Yeah. Kids, boom. I was like, You Changing. could die today. You could die today. This is a really stressful situation to be on. Let's hope you make it. And yeah. my brain literally decided that that was the way it was going to process going on a flight. Wow. I've since kind of, that was early days with the kids. Yeah. I think I'm all right. I'm all right with it now. Um, you know, but even in the early days of that, it was, I don't want them on separate flights. I mean, if we're all flying, we're all flying together. So we all die together. <laughs> And I know that's morbid as shit, but I'm like, I don't want, like, what are they going to do if I die? You know, like, I don't know. Like, it's a really weird thing. My newest thing is, is that like, you know, it's, it, it, I'm the complete opposite of that. Now I'm like, you're all going to be fine. Yeah. I feel like you'll, you'll make it generally, you know, you could at least work at McDonald's. You've got enough skills. Yeah. Right. Um, so you could survive on that and live at your mom's house or whatever. But at the age of 65, I want you to put me down. Yeah. You know, I'm done. <laughs> and I say this as a joke, but some people have taken it pretty damn seriously that, you know, at 65, I feel like I've done enough. Yeah. Why do I have to stick around? Yeah. You know, because yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to be one of those old guys that just sits around and people just wheel them in and out of events. Yeah. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. my kids are getting married. You know, my, oh, they're, they're, their children are getting married and I get wheeled in. I can't actually make it because I'm too fucking old. <laughs> I get wheeled in on something or whatever. I got to prop up. Yeah. You know, and I got to be there. I'm sure I won't want to be there. Yeah. But I'll have to be there so I can be in some family photos so that everybody could say that I was there on the day because I was alive. Yeah. It's just such a, it's such a crazy idea. So I said to my oldest son not too long ago, I said, day I turned 65, you're my oldest son. You need to put me down. <laughs> it's your job to do that. And he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> And everybody's like, no, we can't do it. You know, and I brought this up at work. I brought it up just to see what people do with this question. Because, you know, ultimately, my feeling is, if at 65, the people around me can't survive, then I failed. Yeah. I had one job, one job only, which was to make the, the humans that I created better than me. Yeah. And if they can't be better than me, then I, I failed. And, and uh, you know, and I haven't done my job. What am I going to do at 65? I'm not going to help them then. Because, you know, I'm just going to be paying for things at that point, which, you know, it's not just about the money, but it's about, you know, I didn't impart skills, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those (laughs) sort of weird ones when I've thrown this. This is my version of family. Right. Do better or kill me. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. I don't actually believe it. Let's make that clear. I don't want to be killed at 65, everybody. I just feel like it's a very definitive way of communicating to my family that get your shit together. <laughs> Try a little bit harder, please. We all need to work here. You know, we all need to make this work. 
<laughs> Joe's drawn a line in the yeah, sand. Yeah, yeah, it's a very definitive line for my children. Can I just make it clear that I'm very happy with life? Yeah, that's good. That's good. And, I, and I'm happy too. I'm a happy person. I'm very happy. Uh, happy is a funny definition. I don't know how you define it, but uh, I feel like as long as I'm getting up and smiling, I'm yep. doing okay every day. Yeah. I have days where I don't smile at all. Yeah. I've realized that, but that was a, yeah. that was in my past. Nowadays, I tend to if, at least go for something to make my juices kind of run. Yeah. If I haven't in a day, I am just, I feel like a zombie. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So what about uh, mind control? Do mind you control? have mind? <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not controlled by someone. In <laughs> mind case, control. In case I'm so. talking more around the ability to process information, uh, having a sort of set um, uh, opinion of a situation or, yeah. or, or what have you. Yeah. And then having the ability to change your mind. Oh, absolutely. All, all the time. I think, I think it's hugely important that when you cultivate opinions, mm. um, yes, they're opinions and yes, they are, they are things at that time you, you've come to a conclusion of mm. and, and they stick with you, but you know, they're not, they're not ingrained in you. They're not Good. sewn yeah. into you. They're, they're essentially, you're carrying them in a metaphorical term in a backpack yeah. and you can open the backpack mm. and you can take one out and throw it away. Yep. If it is a wrong opinion, if it is an opinion that needs amending and or change yeah. um, uh, over time. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very open to the idea of, of um, my opinions changing and, and evolving yeah. o- over time. Yeah. I think it's important that we, um, it's, and it's not about necessarily changing other people's opinions in this conversation. It's about your ability to, um, process and understand your position on something. Yeah. Rationalize the idea that actually in learning and in sharing and being open and aware of other people and their opinions that I'm able to modify. Yeah. You know, and it's not about being wrong. This isn't even about being wrong. It's I think we live in a world where biases creep in, things happen over time. You know, I've got an insane list of biases that I constantly grapple with that I know are biases that create opinion that create a perspective that I have to be careful of because it can be very negative yeah. or, and then when I externalize these things can sound, I can basically sound like a lunatic. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like one of those things where I often say I'll start running on something and I sound like a crazy person. And it's only because I've got these things in my mind that I've stuck with. Yeah. And now I'm trying to say, and, and definitely this cathartic aspect of this podcast is to go, you know what? All these things in your head are defining who you are and actually defining outcomes. Yeah. Whether you know it or not. Yeah. And you need to be very aware of them in order to do it. And sometimes the ability or just the task of analyzing and changing your mind can be very difficult. Oh, yeah. It's... And sometimes people don't see it, right? Yeah. You know, uh, and I think I don't know if it's my job as such to, to do things like that with people, but I'm definitely not afraid of getting in the way of somebody that it has a very fixed mind and can't get out of the way of themselves. Yeah, I think I think. I think it's everyone's sort of due diligence in some shape, way, or form to, um, I guess, call it out. Yeah. Where where it's where um, something is incorrect or might not necessarily uh, might be contextualized in the wrong way. That's right. Um, whether that individual decides to change his or her opinion, um, you know, that's something we obviously can't control. Yeah. Um, but you know. You can only do a public service by trying by trying to help. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I think yeah, so I think it's part of like reaching out to other people. I mean, we just had that "Are you okay?" day, yeah, you know, which is an interesting thing. And I mean, I've always kind of I haven't been dismissive of it as such, 
uh, but I have been, and that's because it just makes complete and utter sense to me to yeah. ask people if they're okay. Yeah. And I've never had an issue with, you know, sort of interjecting myself into other people to try to understand what's going on. Yeah. So for me, it's like a no brainer. You always ask, you know, like I saw something the other day that felt like they were acting a little differently. Yeah. Um, was willing to be wrong about it, was wrong about it when I asked them, not wrong in the, you know, in the sense that, oh, they were, you know, they're obviously in the midst of something deep in their mind. And when they spoke to me, they seemed a little off. So I followed up and said, hey, are you okay? And this wasn't, this was months, a month ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay yeah. with them saying, Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I was just, you know, I was like, yeah, no, I realized that now you were fine. You were just in the middle of going and doing this other thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I'm, I would rather have asked and been wrong yeah. than to not have asked and been very wrong. You see what I mean? Yeah, and like, yeah. I think that's the world we should live in is, is that, you know, again, we, we live in a filtered world, right? Yeah. It's where the perception of somebody is normally just a, a mask or a shield of some sort. And that oftentimes we're not aware because we just go, oh, well, they're fine on Facebook or they're fine on Instagram or they're fine here. Or they represent well, you know, or they're in this high position and they're, they must be good. They must be okay because they're up there. Yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a very flat hierarchical structure of human beings. Yeah. There's no great human beings out there that are better than any of the other human beings as such. You know what I mean? Like we're all just at the end of the day, y'all go home. You just want to be at home and get home for dinner. Right. Like yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think recognizing the inability or ability to change your mind uh, and and takes dealing with other people, right? Or having yeah. other people deal with you, uh, you know, is, is a big part of that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, right, man. Well, this has been, uh, you know, a good run. We've got an hour and 10 minutes of, uh, you know, what I would say is gobbledygook bits and pieces. Um, I think the last one I want to jump into yes. um, is... <laughs> If you deal with a distressing thought, and we, we covered this a little bit, but I think it's just to close out on this one, because I, yep. want, I want people to think about this a little bit. If you have a distressing thought, yep. right, where it, it could slant in the negative or just general distress, how do you judge yourself specifically, right? So are you someone who would, um, you know, judge yourself negatively and say, oh, you did bad here like are you hard are you a hard self-critic or do you have you know somewhere sort of in the middle oh well that just didn't go well blah 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 or are you completely blind to something going wrong and just going, oh well that sucks i'm just gonna keep on going uh it's probably somewhere in the middle yeah right um and i guess depending on the situation it, it also um it will also filter to the extremities sure um but most of the time yeah it's it's it would be in the middle of you know that that didn't go well yeah um that went pretty awful pretty shit um but again what can we do to to fix it yeah that's cool. and and if it's if it's something that isn't fixable or again it's that it's that um endless cycle of oh god it's repeating itself or um, you know, I'm still not in a good place, then, you know, that's, I've, I've done it before. I've, I've reached out and I've, yeah. you know, I've spoken to friends, to family and go, look, mm. you know, it's a pretty average time. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what I'm having trouble with mm. and, you know, it's just working through and you, you'll, you'll actually, it, it's funny because when, when you say something like that, it actually opens up a dialogue with also someone else in, in the sense that. Um, you might uncover something they're struggling with yeah. as well. And um, what, what I like about that in a sense is it, it gives an opportunity for number one, um, for you to realize you go through all of these trials and tribulations all the time, mm. um, all the time in life. Um, you're never going to be immune to it unless you live in a box and you don't go out. Mm. Um, so um, to say that you'll never 
you'll never encounter it is is naive. Yeah. The second thing as well is um, through the spirit of human contact, you can potentially help someone else who's mm. going through an issue. Mm. They can potentially help you. Yeah. And, you know, that that's kind of, for me, the, I guess, uh, a good sense of human pursuit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, we're not alone. Exactly Everybody right. struggles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, on that note, let's all go struggle together. Indeed. And, uh, and don't forget to uh, reach out to people, right? Ask Indeed. other people. When you feel like you need to or you feel that urge, don't hold back. Uh, ask. Um, and, and sometimes you may find a very interesting situation where, you know, you learn a bit, you learn a bit about someone else and you create a bit more of a human connection. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, thanks, Rubs. No worries. Appreciate Thank you, Joe. you coming in. And Thank that's you. it. That's it. Excellent. Bye. Bye. <laughs>right so there you go conversation about imposter syndrome a conversation about reaching out to other people about friends about family it's about all the things that are going on that uh, encapsulate who you are how you process that information and how you then do something with it Um, thanks for listening i've decided to do an outro so if you have listened this long thank you so much uh, everybody getting back to me as, as what I asked for in the intro would be great. Uh, don't forget to reach out on the socials, on the emails if you can. Ask those questions. Let's get into some, uh, some deeper tar- t- topics and let's get a feel for what you guys are interested in hearing about so that I can continue on this path. Uh, again, if you're interested in being interviewed, um, reach out. Uh, I'm looking for people to put their hand up and do this. Uh, but again, general, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you putting the time in to listen to this, uh, this show. 